You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. If you would, take your Bibles and open to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, or you can follow on the screen. Now, we're starting a new series today, but I wanted to make sure that it was large enough for you to tell what it is. Can you see this? Who's your one? Now, most of you should have received a letter uh, from me this weekend, uh, depending on how your mail runs, uh, but explaining what this is all about. We're going to take five Sundays this month, and we're going to talk about who's your one. We're asking you to share your story. We're asking you to find one person whom you can identify with, who you will invest in, who you will begin to pray for, who you will even share with. And maybe even down the road, you will choose to disciple that person. When you leave today, you're going to receive a 30-day devotional guide that has a place for you to read one page a day, but also to write that person's name in here as you pray for them. Also, on this marker, there's a place for you to tear off. And on the third Sunday of this month, we will ask people to come and bring those cards with the names on them. You can just write a first name. It doesn't matter. And we will have a concentrated time of just a very focused time of prayer over those names. If you're not able to come on the third Sunday, you can bring it to this Sunday, next Sunday, or whatever. But you're going to be hearing a lot about who's your one. Now, I want to thank Pastor Michael for last week, his message. Uh, he set me up really well. I'd ask him, uh, I told him I'm going to be doing this series and so glad that he talked about uh, sharing Christ, but he also talked about how we need to have compassion when we do it. Amen? We don't need to be judgmental. Now, I want you to consider what comes to your mind when you hear these words. Don't yell it out. Politician. See? Vaccinations. Millennial. Michigan fan. Buckeye fan. I'm not going down that road with me. Think about it. Odds are you have certain mental associations with each of them, right? Now, what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? Christian. You know, I heard that if you ask 10 different people on the street, what does Christian mean? Nine of them would have a different answer, and they probably would. Some would probably say, well, yes, I am. Well, no, I'm not. Well, I am, but. No, but. Well, yes, but I'm not like. Some of you would say that at some point, you are a Christian, right? That's how some of you would answer it. There was a point in your life, maybe, that you prayed a prayer. You walked down an aisle. You filled out a card. Maybe went into a confirmation class. Maybe that was your transition. Others of you would say you've always been a Christian since you were born. 
I mean, you've just always been a Christian. Odds are, you associate that word with certain characteristics as well. You see, the broader culture also forms impressions of what a Christian is and whether or not they are one. Did you know that the first followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christian? Did you know that that term Christian was a derogatory term used by people outside of the faith? In Acts 11.26, we see that the first Christians were known as disciples. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Look at this. The word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible. The word disciple is used 281 times. So this morning, understand that disciple is a far more accurate and compelling description of what it really means to follow Jesus. And as we will see, the concept of a disciple exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians are not actually disciples of Jesus. I want to go back and try to get into what a disciple actually was. And in chapter 4 of Matthew, we have the calling of the first disciples. And that you'll, you'll get a glimpse of what a disciple was and how Christians saw themselves. So let's begin in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Mending their nets, he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let me give you a little historical background. All Hebrew boys went to what they called Torah school starting at the age of five. Now all they did at the age of five was begin to memorize and study and learn the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, how many of you learned the Old Testament between the ages of, say, 5 and 10? Huh? By age 10, all young boys knew the Torah, and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. Now, Jonathan Acklin, you're like me. You've, you're in seminary. I graduated seminary. But you know what? I still don't really know the books like I should probably know them. Amen? Have you memorized them yet? Probably not, right? <laughs> Amen? But you understand, by the age of 10, by the age of 10, the rest returned home to work in their family business. At about age 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies, your next step was to find a rabbi you admired and apply to become one of his disciples. Well, when you found one, when you found one of these rabbis, you would go and you would sit at his Feet. That was your request to learn more. That was it. And the rabbi would examine you with all kinds of questions. I can only imagine. 
and put you through a series of tests to see if you were worthy to be his disciple. Now, Aaron Blevins, wherever you are, you remember, there you are. Remember when we or, was doing the ordination council meeting the other day? We asked a lot of questions. But boy, I think this went a little deeper than that. The rabbis could choose the smartest and the most talented boys to be their disciples. Another reason the rabbis were so picky is that when they chose a disciple, they were choosing someone whom they believed could become just like them. Now, don't miss that. To not just know what they knew, but to do what they did. And for several years, these young disciples would follow their rabbis, imitating them in every way. So understand that the goal of a disciple was to be like the rabbi. This morning, I want us to look at five things about being a disciple. The first, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Aren't you grateful? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. What was he doing? Casting a net into the sea. Why? Because they were fishermen. So in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, this new rabbi, chooses Peter and Andrew, who are fishermen. The fact that they are fishermen shows that they were part of the B team. They were not part of the best team. You know, in sports, none of us wanted to be on the B team. We wanted to be on the team, the starting team. In choosing his disciples, Jesus skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were, they were in Athens. And then the powerful were in Rome. He even passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and also Julius Caesar, the great ruler. He chose men to be his disciples so ordinary that it was just downright comical. Not a single rabbi, not a single teacher, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half of them were fishermen. Did you know that one of them was essentially a, an IRS agent? Isn't that some of your favorite people? And one of them was a former terrorist. I mean, he chose the B team because his work in the world would not come from their abilities for him. It would come from what he would do through them. I've said many times from this pulpit, God cannot do a work through you until, first of all, he's done a work in you, in you. You see, people with a lot of talent and ability would only get in the way because they would never really learn to lean into his power. See, Jesus taught that his power in the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent apart from him. Again, they were part, a part of the B team. They're, they weren't the best of the best in the who's who book, okay? Church, let that sink in. When Jesus chose his squad to build his movement, 
He chose the B team. So, of course, they went to follow him. This rabbi had chosen them, guys without much potential or personal power, to follow him and to become like him, to know God like he knew God, to know what he knew, to do what he did, and to be filled with his power. As I just stated earlier, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars, the great libraries, the great philosophers, and the powerful. He passed over the historian, the great thinkers, the great ruler. He chose men so ordinary that it was comical. Jesus, again, chose the B team because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities for him, but from what he would do through them. Now, since we're a lot of sports fans are here and we're in the football season, but it doesn't matter. It does not matter how great someone playing football today's ability is if they're not available. Get me? You see, the greatest ability is your availability. The greatest ability is your availability. God wants to use you in your family and at your workplace and at your school. Stop making excuses that you're not able. He doesn't need your ability. He only requires your availability. As we often say, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Have you ever just done that? Have you made yourself available? So first, he doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. And then secondly, he chose us, not we him. Follow me, he told them. As I explained, the normal way this went down is that if you were among the best of your class, you applied to a rabbi. And if he liked what he saw, he'd choose you back. Now this, his selection gave them a great deal of confidence. If they were struggling, they could say, ah, but my Rabbi believed in me. He chose me. But Jesus started the process back even further. They didn't even come to sit at his feet. He came seeking them when they weren't even looking for him. Is that how Jesus came to you? Some of you. You weren't even searching and he just showed up. Some of you are struggling right now. I mean, some of you are struggling in your marriage. Some of you are struggling in your career. Some of you are struggling in your parenting. Believe this, friend. If you are Jesus' disciple, then he chose you. In the midst of a world where you feel overwhelmed by opposition, you can be confident that if God chose you, God's going to see it through. If he began to work, he's going to complete it. And it doesn't matter what the size of the obstacles are that are in front of you. It matters the size of the God behind you and that God is greater than those. Greater is he that is in you. So stop worrying about the obstacles and start focusing on God. That's the whole point of choosing. Now watch. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain 
So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Here's what Jesus says. I'll give you his words. Here's what he says to his, his disciples. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you may not just go and bear fruit, but go and bear much fruit. Bear fruit means you're going to win other people to Jesus and your fruit will last. It's not just going to be a temporary thing. It's going to be permanent for real fruit, eternal fruit, so that whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. Thirdly, our primary calling is to be with him. Follow me, he told them. He didn't tell them where they were going or what assignment he had for them. His primary call is not to do something. It is to become like him. And to become like him, do you know how you become like Jesus? You have to know him. And to know him, you have to know his word. And to know his word, you have to get in the word. You have so many outlets for this right here in this church. You have weekly messages. You have small groups. Some of you are in two small groups. You have Bible studies. If you're really serious about being a disciple, you need to take advantage of a lot of these. Get his word inside of you until it dominates all your thinking and all of your behavior. Until you think it and you talk it and you quote it. Number four. To follow him, we have to leave all. To follow him, we have to leave all. It says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now why identify these two things, boat and father? Because they are usually the two most significant things in our lives. What do I mean by boat? Well, our careers. Our stuff, the way we take care of ourselves. You understand, the boat was their only real possession in the nets. But then, Father, what do you mean? That's our most significant relationships. I mean, to follow Jesus, man, you, you, you've got to change your playground sometimes. You've got to get away from some relationships that you don't need in anymore. To follow Jesus, he has to take precedence over both. Most of you won't literally lose your father and mother over Jesus. Now, some might, especially in the other countries and persecuted churches. Some might here, though. For some, God may tell you to change careers. Maybe God will tell you to transfer your job or maybe be part of a church plant. Or leave your job and carry the gospel overseas. For many of you, it probably won't be that dramatic. High school students, even college, some of you are going to be the only ones who choose to follow Jesus out of your set of friends. And you, you know what? You're going to get, you ladies, you young girls, you're going to get labeled you as a religious chicks or that virgin or something like that 
And you're going to have to decide if you're going to sit back and be intimidated or if Jesus has a larger presence in your life than those friends do. How did I know that? Because I was one. I was a student. I was a middle school, high school, college. I know that. Some of you in business, you're going to face the temptation to cut some corners, which I mean everybody else in your field does, right? But you're going to have to decide if you're going to be patient and do things God's way. For some of you, it's simply what you do with your income. Some of you saying, dear God, he's talking about money again. Well, it's about time. Two things people don't want to hear in church is about sharing Jesus and about money. Scripture teaches in unequivocal terms that you give your first and your best back to Jesus when you're a follower, which usually for Christian starts with about 10%. That is the area where I see most Christians demonstrate that they've never really become a disciple of Jesus because they just don't want to obey God here. They don't let Jesus have greater sway over that than their boat does, as I said earlier. You see, to follow Jesus simply means you subject everything in your life. To his lordship. You forsake all that is forbidden. And you pursue all that he has prescribed unconditionally. Jesus talks more about money. Than he does about heaven and hell combined in the word. You know why? Because it's the last thing we want to part with. Some don't tithe because they don't agree with something. Or they are mad at the pastor. But God always will always get his money. Just because you may be saved and don't tithe doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means you're not an obedient Christian. So we have to leave it all. Lastly, he commands us to spiritually reproduce. Spiritually reproduce. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Now, I want to take some time here on this particular point. Just like he was a fisher of men, his followers would become fishers of men also. Now, this is an essential part of being a disciple. It's not something that only a few of us do. It's something that each of us does. There is no such thing, do not miss this, there is no such thing as non reproducing Christian. How do you prove your disciple? By bearing fruit. And if you are bearing fruit, you have reason to question whether you are a disciple at all. If you're not. If you're not bearing fruit, you have reason to question whether you're a disciple at all. It says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce not just fruit, much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So how are you going to prove you're his disciple? You're going to bear fruit spiritually. You're going to reproduce spiritually. 
Which means that if you're really his disciple, this is going to be a part of your life. And if you're not reproducing spiritually, you have good reason to question whether or not you are actually a disciple at all. Now, Lima Baptist Temple, the great commission that Jesus gave us was this. And it's the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven. So I want you to read this with me, everybody together, okay? Now, I put it all in caps, and I'll explain that in a minute. Let's go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, how long is that? Always. There's a reason I put it in caps. You see, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. You see, go baptize and teach in the Greek are all participles. There's only one verb in that sentence, and it's make disciples. Which means if you're reading it in Greek, that all these things kind of come to this thing. Which means the center of all the going the baptism, the baptizing, and the teaching. The sinner is making disciples, which means that in everything else that we do as a church and everything we do as a Christian, the core of what we do is one verb, the one verb he gave us, which is to make disciples. Yes, we have a lot of ministries at this church. We've got a lot of ministries, but everything that we do in ministry grows out of the call to make disciples. All these ministries, this is the core of all of it. Yes, we love to show kindness and we love to meet needs wherever we see them. We want to help the orphan and the widows and those who are in prison and the unwed mother. But the core of all that as we help them is teaching them about the salvation of Jesus Christ. Everything we do grows out of the call to make disciples. Jesus summarizes his ministry in Luke 19 by saying, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If we're his disciples... That's how we summarize our lives, too. I want you to listen to this. In his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said, When will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, also necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are called God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something but someone. Do you understand this? God chooses the B team. But God didn't have a plan B. He had a plan A, and the plan A was to use us comical B team members. Do we understand that this morning? When is the last time 
You shared Christ with someone. When is the last time you led someone to Christ? Let's go to the last one. You know what's coming. When is the last time you even tried? Let me close with this. There are three different stages of Jesus' ministry. Listen to this. Stage one was where Jesus told people, come and see. Come and see. First recorded question of Jesus there in gospel is in John 1. Where are you going, Lord? Come and see. That's what many of you are doing. You're coming and you're seeing and you're learning. Then about halfway through his ministry, he sort of shifts the focus and he says to the disciples. And he goes from come and see to stage two, which is come and die. John chapter 12. You see, come and die means be fully committed to me. No restrictions. And right towards the end of his ministry, he ascended into heaven. He changed one more time, and this is stage three. He said, go and tell. Here's the gospel, people. Come and see, come and die, go and tell. Why? Because you and I are God's method. And we want to see you become this this month. We want you to commit to it. And don't let it intimidate you. Disciple making is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And then guess what? Jesus has promised to help you. So identify your one. Start praying and ask God to help you identify one person and with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring the faith in Christ this year. Now, I know who some, some of you are. Well, Pastor, I can bring 25 to the Lord. Well, when's the last time you brought one? It's easy to go out there because you know what? You've got lost family members, some of you. More than one, more than two, more than three. You've got lost friends. We're just asking you to find that one and invest in that one and pray for that one and share with that one. And if possible, bring that one. And speaking of all this, then on the first Sunday of November, I want to have a very special baptism service at the end. You remember when I've done those two messages before? The first time was explaining all the things, what people don't understand maybe about baptism. And we baptized 26 at the end of the service. We did it about three or four years later, and we baptized 20. You see, God's word doesn't return void. Do we understand that? We need to understand that this morning. But before you identify your one, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, then I have some good news for you. Today is the day of salvation. And you can become his disciple and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And you can have the assurance of eternal life in heaven. Now hear this. There's been so much talk about vaccines. There is only one vaccine that will save your soul and keep you out of hell. You must be injected by the blood of Jesus. It's the Jesus vaccine. And guess what? It's heavenly approved. He loves you. And he died for you. 
And you can know this by just admitting you are a sinner and believe that he died on the cross and three days later he was raised from the dead. We're all sinners. But you need to be able to never leave this place until you've done that. You have repented of your sins. You have believed in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Just ask him to forgive you and he will save you. Just profess that to him. And then just confess Jesus as your Lord. He really does want to be the Lord of your life. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can have his grace. You can have this freedom and joy through Jesus. Would you bow your heads as we prepare for invitation? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you, if you want this free gift of eternal life, then you can just pray this prayer silently as I say it. Just make this your prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please come into my life and save me? Cleanse me of my sins. Come live in me. I receive your gift of forgiveness. Lord, I surrender to you. I give you my life and I receive your life. Help me live the remaining days of my life for you, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. Look up at me. If you just prayed that prayer, you prayed the most important prayer that you could ever pray and you made the most important decision you've ever made. And I encourage you maybe to come down in a minute and just grab one of us pastors by the hand. Just tell me that you prayed that prayer. For others, maybe today would be a great day for you to come and start praying for your one. If you don't know who that is, that God would reveal that to you. If not, and if you do know it, to come down and start praying for them. That God would give you the strength and the courage to share with them. For the rest, this altar will just be open for whatever you want to come and pray for. So will you stand and would you sing and you respond as God leads you this morning. There is a river of gladness that flows from Emmanuel's veins. The sinner was plunged God save. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning. The Lord, you just continued to be a good God. Lord, I lift up to you all these people who are just suffering, God, from not just COVID, but so many things, Lord, in our church. And Lord, just our friends, our families, that God, you would be with them, Lord, in their health. Lord, be with us. Put somebody in our, on our hearts and minds, Father, that we need to share the gospel of Christ with. And Lord, just help us to see things here like we've never seen before. Because, God, we believe in your word. Lord, I pray for Aaron and Cassidy and the family and that, God, you would be with them this afternoon. And, Lord, tonight, that, Lord, you'd bring us together as we send him out from this church and ordain him. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.